Hi everybody, this is Karen from Soterian, and you're listening to the SAP Security and GRC podcast with host Dudley Cartwright, the show for people who prioritize risk in the organization and want to go about it by working smart and not hard. In today's episode, we'll be discussing policies and procedures relating to GRC and access management activities. What are the benefits of having policies and procedures in place? What happens if policies and procedures are not clearly defined or well documented? And we'll share a few examples with you. We'll be joined by industry expert Emil Stein from Soterian. Thank you for joining us. Welcome, everyone. Uh, today's podcast is on policies and procedures. My name is Dudley Cartwright from Soterian, uh, and I'm joined by Emil Stein, also from Soterian. So, welcome, Emil. Thanks, Dudley. Nice being here. So, today's session, we want to just talk around policies and procedures. And, Emil, it is an area that I think we need to, uh, you know, confess that we've historically been a little bit slack in this area. We haven't pushed our customers to make sure that they've got updated policies and procedures, but we have become quite active with this quite recently, and we're starting to see some some very good results off the back of running through these policies and procedures, workshops, and activities. So it's topical for us at the moment and a, a nice area to, to maybe just share with the audience as to what, how we've seen its added value to our customers. Yeah, um, as you said, so I think it's something that um, a, a lot of companies haven't actually gone through the trouble of defining proper policies and procedures. And um, often we, we come to clients and uh, we ask them, what are the policy that's in place for this? And unfortunately, there's, there's just nothing there. So I think it is something that uh, can create so much value that companies should uh, use that almost as the starting point for all of the activities. Yeah, and I think a lot of companies, it's one of those pieces of documentation that sort of get outdated very quickly. So some companies may have defined policies and procedures 10 years ago, but it, it, they, they haven't gone back and re-looked at the, that document and make sure, that, and make sure it's up to date, etc. So I think a lot of our customers have feel that they've got a policies and procedure document because they've documented some of the joiner mover lever process. They know what constitutes a dormant user, how many days of inactivity. Um, and a, a few of those type of, of items have been documented, but we find that not many of the access risk management activities have been, been well documented. So although a lot of companies think they've got policies and procedures well-defined and well-documented, when you actually go and look for them, it's not. It's often not the case. Um, so maybe just to ask a few questions then, um, why is it important for a company or an organization to, to go about ensuring that they've got well-documented, well-defined policies and procedures? Or maybe if we were to ask this the other way around, what happens if, these are, if policies and procedures are not well-documented um, within the organization. Yeah, so the, the policies, and, policies and procedures are effectively the framework for, for companies to operate in. And without those policies and procedures, you often see a lot of time being wasted because people don't know what, what to do and what, what is expected of them. So I think there's a lot of time wasted in that. And then also seen, you mentioned, uh, we uh, policies and procedures quickly become outdated and as companies try and bring in uh, software to assist them with all of these activities the policies and procedures are often not adapted for these new technologies that they're trying to implement so that often uh, leads to underutilization 
of all of these software uh, that's being uh, brought in to assist, but uh, companies are not getting the full value from it. Yeah, so I think that's a great point there. I think we, for those organizations that are experiencing underutilization of their sort of access control or GRC software, you often find that they don't have well-documented policies and procedures relating to the, the SAP access request uh, process and all associated activities with that. Um, okay, so maybe if I can ask you, can you give us also some examples of, of some of those policies and procedures that, that are not well documented at many organizations? So as I mentioned in the beginning there, we often find that a lot of the joiner mover lever activities are well documented, uh, but maybe not, uh, maybe not so much with regards to the access risk management activities. Uh, can, can you just share some examples of, of some of those uh, policies and procedures relating to access risk management activities that we often find are not well documented. Sure, and it's it's not even the most complicated. I think we can look at a basic process like the user access request process, just defining the basics of who's the people that's responsible for approving a request. And then the next level of that is looking at is risk being introduced. If risk is introduced, who's expected to approve those uh, uh, those specific risks, what risk levels are meant to be approved. Is it uh, only high risks, medium risks, or critical risks, for instance, ignored? Um, so that is almost just the, ba the basic things. And then if we think maybe about uh, some of the other areas, uh, like your privileged user accounts or fi firefighter accounts, just how is, how is that used? How often sh uh, should access uh, be reviewed? And also then the logs generated by the firefighter accounts. How, how often and how long after that request should the logs actually be reviewed? Just yeah, yeah. yeah I, th I think we find that a lot of companies, they will review those logs at the end of the month. But the reality is sometimes that sort of wide access was checked out um, at the beginning of the months. So it's 30 days since that um, that checkout or, or that emergency access was, was used. So it is quite a long period for someone to, when they're reviewing those logs, to go back and remember, well, exactly why, what was the reason why this person uh, checked out this this user and did he use it for the right, right reasons? So I think a lot of companies, they've got a policy in place for that, but is it an effective policy? Exactly. And what I often tell our customers is that they should keep in mind what, what is the purpose of the review of the firefighter logs. And that is actually the control to make sure that what was executed actually agrees to the reason for the firefighter ID being requested in the first place. So if that review only happens a month afterwards. It means that by, uh, potentially uh, an instance of fraud or error goes 30, or 30 days undetected. So um, yeah. as you pointed out, that is effectively a weaker control. So where these type of reviews should ideally happen a lot sooner to uh, make sure those items uh, don't go undetected. Yeah. So looking at that, you mentioned the SCP access uh, request process and under what conditions can or should uh, sort of risk-bearing access be approved. So if these are not well documented, I guess that puts a lot of those business users in a position where something may come into their inbox and if it results in a critical risk or a high risk, 
they sit there thinking, can I prove this? Am I allowed to prove this? Should I prove this? So what ends up happening possibly is that that could sit in the person's inbox for two weeks because there's no clearly defined rules as to what he, he or she should do with this request. So for those organizations that have gone about defining those conditions under which risk-bearing access can be approved, I guess it leads to quicker decision-making, more informed decision-making, end users end up with the access in a shorter period of time. There's less business downtime as because reviewers are not sort of, they're unsure of what they're allowed to, to, to do with those activities. So, you know, it, clearly defining policies and procedures does as you mentioned earlier, create the, the framework or the standard operating procedure with, with which business users can approve access, resulting in you know, uh, less risk to the business and the business users actually being assigned the appropriate access in, in a shorter period of time. Moving on, what other benefits can you see for an organization to go about clearly defining the policies uh, and procedures? Um, what, what comes to mind with that? So I think maybe to touch back on your previous point, it's talking about the business business users that need to perform certain activities. So defining those policies and procedures actually pro provides them with the information that they need to, uh, and also the understanding of what they're actually meant to do. So it's actually enabling them to perform uh, those tasks more efficient. Yeah, no. and I suppose also then, if you go and define, clearly define your policies and procedures, it does also serve as an education process for the business users as to what the access control or GRC solutions are capable of. Maybe as an example, if an organization needs to perform an annual user access review, maybe that's been done manually in spreadsheet, but you know, obviously if you go and sit with your GRC or access control or security teams while you're defining your policies and procedures, they can say, well, there's actually a module or functionality within the access control solution that can handle the user access review process. So it can serve as an education process to the business users as to what the capabilities are of the access control solution to move away from that underutilization and for the for an organization to actually start extracting more value from their, their GRC um, in investment. Okay, so I think as we, we also mentioned there, another benefit is that it creates the, the, the framework or the rules for which business users can um, perform certain functions. So as you mentioned, if, if a request comes in and it results in a critical risk, is that, can that be approved? So some organizations will make it under their policies and procedures will say, Listen, so if it's a critical risk, it, it needs to be remediated. No, no one in the business can have a, a risk that's of a risk level critical. If it's a high risk, people can have it, but there needs to be a mitigating control in place. If it's a medium risk, people can have that access, and yet there doesn't need to be a mitigating control in place. So again, it just, uh, we, we touched on this earlier, where it just means that the business users know the conditions in which they can uh, approve certain access, and it just results in more informed decision-making and uh, business end users ending up with the, the, the access in, in a much shorter, shorter period of time. Also, can we maybe just touch on all those companies that are experiencing underutilization of their access control solution? Do you feel that if they were to embark on a D 
uh, policies and procedure workshop, can that reinvigorate the sort of access control solution and move it from being highly underutilized to getting it to be more um, better used and uh, get more value from that investment? 100%. So I think the important thing here is that the policy and procedure that's defined uh, gives companies the opportunity to identify where's potential weaknesses. So I think that's the first part. But then continuously reviewing the policies and procedures. As a company matures, they'll uh, also use that opportunity to then identify where is the, where's the weakness, how can I redefine my policy and procedure, and then also use that as the uh, as the method to identify where's, where are the weaknesses and where should their potential upskill take place or and where uh, it can't be solved by by uh, by people. What's uh, what's the software that we need to help us uh, solve those problems? Yeah, and, and I suppose just as, to help with that underutilization, if an organisation puts something in their policies and procedures document, I guess that that's a form of commitment from the business that they're going to perform that activity because. If there's something that's in the policies and procedures document, it then does become something that audit will look at to say, well, is the business performing this function that's in our policies and procedure you know, documentation? So I, I guess it is a, a way in which to get commitment from the business that this is an important activity. And yes, we are going to perform this activity on an annual basis or that the requirement is. And and it's obviously also very important then that those policies and procedures are achievable. Uh, companies uh, that have got various um, levels of maturity. So come up with a policy and procedure that's actually achievable. And then as you mature, those can be, uh, those can also mature. The policies and procedures can also mature with the business. Yeah, because I think that's a good point, because if they're not achievable, understand that that's going to put pressure on you from an audit perspective, because that will become mm -hmm. an audit finding as to say, listen, why didn't you do this? So I think it's a good point there. If you lack maturity, don't overcommit to what you're going to be able to carry out within a year from the policies and procedure, rather build up the maturity and get there over, over time. Emil, you, I know you've done a, quite a few of these workshops recently. Um, so can you maybe just share with us how you've gone about performing a policies and procedures sort of activity with an organization? I think the most important part there is that um, many because many companies don't have policies and procedures defined, or they might have for a few select activities, is that you can't start from a blank canvas. So what we've done is we've gone and identified basically all of the touch points looking at access risk and access control management and defined a template uh, policies and procedures document and using that as the base for discussion with a company actually allows, uh, allows a, a conversation with a customer instead of asking, asking them to go and define a policy and a procedure for a specific activity, providing them with initial guidelines and guidance on why certain things will work and why certain things won't work, and then making that applicable to, to the environment and the maturity level. So uh, the, the other part that I think is important is now, as you're discussing those items, is to have the correct people involved. We say it's, it, it doesn't help uh, if the wrong people are in those discussions. You need to have people that uh, can make decisions, 
and it would also be involved in actually making sure that those policies and procedures that's been defined are being executed and uh, being upheld. Yeah, so I think the, the good point also where you say to start with a blank canvas is always very difficult. So what you're saying is Citroen has defined very detailed policies and procedures for all the sort of use cases associated with access control, access risk management, and then you run through each of those with the organization, and then they identify which ones is applicable to them and what are the conditions or what are the frequencies or the timeframes in, in which certain things are done. So it ends up being a, a much more effective sort of workshop because people aren't thinking from scratch or blank canvas. They're looking at a predefined template and they're just giving an answer to which what they like and, and under what conditions or what timeframes. So um, and then you also mentioned there how important it is to have the right people in the room. And I, I guess that's key to, to these type of workshops. If you don't have the right business users, um, the decision makers, then um, the, these workshops are a little bit of a waste of time because you do need the business users there who are going to commit to performing these things, these functions. And I guess you, the three workshops that you've conducted in the last month, you have been lucky enough to have the CFO in two of them and the CIO in, in the other one of them. And it does make quite a difference to the outcome of the workshop if you have someone from sort of senior management from business sitting in on those workshops and being the decision maker um, with that. Good. Okay, so I think just to end then, Emil, uh, can you just maybe share with us what would the key takeaways be to a sort of a policies and procedure activity or, or workshop? I'd say, first of all, policies and procedures need to be reviewed. It's not set in stone, uh, so it needs to continuously be reviewed and updated. So, so sort of like sure on an annual basis. So you keep keep reviewing it on an annual basis, see what needs to be added, what needs to be changed. And I suppose that will also then serve as a bit of an education process. Every year you review them, you sit with business, you remind the business what that is. So it's, it's a review and an education process, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So as that mature, as your business matures, the policies and procedures will mature with them. And then I think it's one of the last points we touched on there is to have the correct people involved in those decision decisions. So they know what they want to achieve and they know what's achievable for for them as yeah. a company with the resources that they've got. They've got. Yeah, so definitely. I think there, if you can have someone from senior management, from, from finance, or if it's a CFO or the, or the CRO, I guess it's a decision maker who can make some decisions on behalf of a business. Um, and, and then at least that's the commitment from business as to, yes, we are going to perform these, these activities. Emil, that's great. Thank you for that. I think we, we've covered everything we, we want to today. So thanks for your time. And to everyone else, uh, until the next podcast, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Dudley. Thanks, everyone.